On this week's episode of Opinions on Pickens, we have Coach Scott Fields joining us to talk about his coaching journey on every level of basketball, including the NBA. We are also talking Anthony Davis and his injury that could potentially hurt the Lakers' chances of a championship this year. Also, the Brooklyn Nets and their unstoppable trio. Welcome to the Opinions on Pickens podcast, the sports show where there are no fouls or flags, only baskets and touchdowns. Here's your host, Alyssa Butterson. Welcome. I'm your host, Alyssa Butterson. Coach, thanks for being here with us today. How are you? I'm blessed. I feel so humbled and fortunate to have this opportunity to uh, share some insights on your forum. And uh, thanks for having me. It's just it's just a pleasure. Pleasure to have you here, Scott. So first, let's just kind of talk and start from the beginning. We really like to figure out and know a little bit about where our guests have come from to know how they've been able to get to where they are today. So where are you from and where did your love of basketball kind of start for you? Well, it's uh, when I share that story with you, you'll see where all the pieces of the puzzle come together. Uh, born and raised in Indiana, which is very, very serious about their basketball. I was uh, blessed with a lot of athleticism and was a Hall of Famer in high school. And uh, that, that playing career led me to go into college. And then as soon as my college career was over, I got right into coaching just wanted to kind of give back to the game. That was so good to me. That was kind of a passion and a purpose for me. And then had 14 years at the college level where we, you know, had multiple uh, nationally ranked programs and then also coached the college player of the year, which led to a very early start for me to get into coaching professionally. I was 27 when I took my very first head coaching job professionally overseas in Europe and then was blessed to have kind of found a niche for myself where we were just, you know, a teacher and we tried to empower uh, players to, uh, you know, help them build their profiles, get longevity in their career, provide for their money, make them marketable. And things continued to take off. Um, We won multiple championships. And in 15 years of professional coaching, we had a near 780 win percentage and uh, just humbled by that. And then that led to other opportunities, which led me to be able to consult with the uh, Hall of Fame coach, Jerry Sloan, with the Utah Jazz, as I now live here in Salt Lake City. And that was just phenomenal to uh, be in like a classroom uh, with, with a Hall of Fame guy like Jerry Sloan. And then also had three summers with the Golden State Warriors when Steph Curry was just a rookie. And then also did a summer with the Sacramento Kings. So just blessed and fortunate. And uh, actually, let's see, it must have been seven years ago. Uh, my wife and I, we adopted a son and just so proud of this young man because he is now playing professional basketball himself over in Europe in the country of Georgia. So just thrilled to see his growth and maturation and you know how it kind of manifested itself as it's kind of a blindside story where he moved from South Central LA uh, here to Salt Lake City and I was kind of a mentor for him. And then when the adoption kind of took over, just tried to lead and guide and direct him. And then as that was going on to kind of scratch an itch, and stay involved in the game, you know, we started having our coach Scott Field show. And then when COVID came out this last year, uh, we just upped the frequency. And I'm just a big believer that sports is a huge respite and it's sports entertainment. And it gives people kind of a, a relief 
from everyday stressors. Well, when COVID broke out, of course, with all the social injustice and everything that was going on, I just thought it was just a great time to, uh, you know, bring a lot of my NBA friends on uh, onto my show and let them share their journeys and put tools in people's toolboxes. And that's what we did. And now we're blessed that uh, we, we've been picked up by an agency and our show now actually is uh, streaming on Roku and Amazon. And next month, we're going to be on Apple TV. So I'm just, I'm so, so lucky. Wow. So, so happy for you, Scott. I mean, that Thank is you. overwhelming, but in a great way. I think the list of basketball accomplishments you don't have as coaching is way shorter than the ones that you do. And that's a great <laughs> that's thing. That's a great that's, problem to have. <laughs> that's very kind of you to say. I, I'm touched by that. Thank you so much. Of course. Let's talk a little bit about 27 years old. You get your first head coaching job overseas, nonetheless. Yes. Let's talk about that experience. Uh, you know what? It was great for me. Uh, it taught me to grow up right away. I had an itch and wanted to be a head coach. And my goal was to be a head coach by the time I was 30. And when the opportunity presented itself to go over to Europe, uh, we jumped on it. We, we took a team that had only won six games the prior year. And then our year, we actually won the championship and uh, had only lost four games. So to completely flip that uh, franchise, well, club, turn that club around and to win that championship was just a a great experience because it it taught me the importance of communication. In that country, English was like the fourth language. So to be able to make sure that you had effective communication with the players and to identify roles and responsibilities and kind of make sure that we we went over the right things as a teacher and worked on, uh, you know, skills and skill development daily and just to increase their confidence. And they bought into the philosophy and style of play that we had because we had a philosophy. And to watch that take off and go, it just turned into, um, you know, more and more opportunities, which, again, I'm just so blessed and humbled that, you know, those players bought in and enjoyed what we were doing. And to be in a foreign country to experience different cultures, different languages, different religions. It's very growing. I, I guess one of the interesting things was the first time, you know, we were going to workouts and we would go to a club, uh, you know, to a sports facility uh, for workouts. You know, we go into the sauna. Well, there, saunas were, were co-ed. <laughs> and so, you know, people are in the steam rooms and we're just in there with towels. And I'm like, oh my, I thought I walked into the wrong steam room. And it's like, they're like, no, come on in, coach, you're welcome. I'm like, oh, here are these flight attendants from Lufthansa. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. So it's kind of, it's almost like a culture shock, but it was, it was unique and interesting to say, Lee, I, I need to start a book with some of the experiences I've had. <laughs> Seriously, you do. Two uh, things that really stood out to me about that was one, I love how you call yourself a teacher as opposed to a coach? And two, what was your philosophy? You know, I I think any great communicator, any great coach, they have to be a teacher. You have to be able to not only communicate effectively what you want done, but then be able to demonstrate it. And then with technology nowadays, we didn't have the technology then that we had now. So it's just a matter of getting out there and trying to inflict our will with that passion and that purpose and with that enthusiasm. And that enthusiasm kind of sparked a life of its own. So the the ability to teach, I think, is very important. I, I don't care if you're a coach. I don't care if you're a CEO. I don't care if you're a business owner. I, I think, you know, effective teachers have st- sustainability. And if they're able to sustain and teach and create a culture of hard work and family, I think the the byproduct of that is going to be success. 
and you're never too old to learn something new, I always say. Amen to that. Uh, and you know, it's the same for me because kind of transitioning from a coach, kind of getting into the broadcast field. Trust me, whenever I'm able to be a sponge and steal and be a pirate from other people and other professionals like yourself, uh, it's, it's an opportunity to, just to empower yourself and be a better version of yourself at no matter what trade that you're doing. And it's also great. This is something I talk with some of, most of my guests on my show is when you become someone that has gained so much knowledge and now you have a platform such as our podcast or going on other people's podcasts, using your Instagram, your social media to share messages that like these and your experiences to potentially help other people. That's right. And you see, that's exactly what we try to do with our show. You know, we, we've got, you know, the little saying, you know, we want to serve, we want to empower and we want to inspire. And if we can put tools and other people's toolboxes to help them be successful, well, I guess even as a, you know, the host of the Coach Scott Field Show, I'm still teaching and I'm still trying to empower others. So, you know, it's, it's a great platform to, to have. And I think if you put out that quality content and, and have guests that come on, uh, basically as the host, you basically just want to ask who, what, when, where, and let the answers of the guest be what's empowering, inspiring for others. So, I mean, just like this morning, I had, you know, former NBA coach uh, Keith Smart come on the show, who's known for hitting the, the championship winning shot for Indiana University against Syracuse back in 1987. So for him to come on and share the stories that he had uh, it was just phenomenal. Uh, you know, recently we had Spencer Haywood come on our show and, you know, he's the gentleman that has the Spencer Haywood rule. Matter of fact, you see his book over my shoulder. Uh, but, you know, if it wasn't for him having a class action lawsuit against the NBA for early entry candidates, there would not be a LeBron James. There wouldn't be a Kevin Garnett or a Kobe Bryant. So, uh, again, to have these guys share their stories, share their wisdoms, give insightful nuggets. That's where that content and creativity all comes in. And it's just, it's wonderful to share this. So again, just for me to be on here with you, I can't tell you how grateful I am because I've seen the things that you're doing and I'm a huge fan myself. So Oh, just, stop it. Don't make me blush. Don't nah, make blush, me blush away. Stop you, you, it. <laughs> well, hey, you're, you're being very humble, but you do an outstanding job. And so for me to be on this platform sharing with you, uh, I'm, I'm just elated. Thank you. Thank you so much, Scott. We appreciate you. And again, we want to know more about you. So let's talk about, of course, we have to bring up your time with the Golden State Warriors. Oh, yeah. Give us some fun stories from that time. Well, again, I, I was with a friend of mine, uh, Coach Keith Smart. I just finished coaching a professional team in Venezuela. He knew that I had just got back and he's like, hey, Scott, he goes, you know, I'm head coaching the summer league team down in Vegas uh, with the Golden State Warriors. You know, why don't you come and you know get on the floor with us and help teach? And I was like, wow, you better believe it. Let's do it. So to be out there and to see a young Steph Curry. Uh, you know, he was the number seven pick in the draft that year coming out of Davidson College, which was a small school. So, you know, there was a lot of cynicism and there's a lot of critics that, you know, the press and everybody builds you up. And then all of a sudden you get to a certain level, they start critiquing you and kind of like, you know, saying to you what you can and what you can't do. And I think what I learned from Steph was I loved his ability to kind of block out the white noise and and rid himself from the negativity, toxicity, and the cynicism. And he focused on what he could do and what he knew he was going to bring because everybody was saying he's too small to be a two guard. He wasn't really a great ball handler. Uh, didn't know how well his shooting would you know transition you know to the NBA. And yet 
I sit there and watch this young man who had a wonderful support system and his father, who was a former NBA player. But yet again, his laser focus and attention to detail where he's going through these pregame routines, which are now infamous because everybody loves to get to the game early for a Golden State game and see him go through his ball handling, see him go through his his shooting routines to kind of get that muscle memory going. And that's something that I took away from him because I was like, you know what? Here's a guy who has transformed the game through his work ethic. And, uh, you know, when you think of people who, you know, transform the game, you got to think of Michael Jordan's, you got to think of LeBron James's and, and, you know, Bill Walton, you know, you know, just Bill Russell. And I mean, just guys that took the game to another level. And here's a guy who at his size doesn't have the freakish athleticism. And so many people can relate to because he's, you know, he's, he's not that athletic. He's, He's a smaller guy, but yet look what he does and look how good he does it. But again, it's the hours of repetition and and fine tuning the mechanics and that quick release. And, you know, he was so selfless as well because he didn't require the high contracts where, you know, he allowed money to be still within the salary cap to surround himself with great talent. And look what he and Clay Thompson and KD did before KD was injured. I mean, they completely made the league a copycat league. Then everybody tried to start playing the way the Golden State Warriors played in if it wasn't for a Steph Curry who was so selfless and so so confident within himself. I mean, he's just a phenomenal guy and it was fun to be around that. Just playing a huge part, a little part medium in anybody's success, especially someone like Steph Curry that you can watch grow and can see how he's developed. I'm sure it's the feeling's immeasurable. I'm sure it is. You, you, you can't put a price tag on it. Just when you're around greatness, there, there's an aura, there's a charisma to it. And just like being around there's Coach There's an addiction Jerry, to it. Oh, well, it, just like Coach Jerry Sloan, who was a Hall of Fame coach for 23 years out here uh, with the Utah Jazz, the success that he had year after year, it was almost like the NBA took that for granted. But then as soon as he stepped down, everybody saw what his greatness was. So it's almost like you didn't appreciate it until it was gone. But yeah, to to be around phenomenal people like that, I can't honestly sit here and tell you that I had anything to do with it. I was just lucky to be around it. But yet it also felt very good too when I got to coach Steph Curry again in an NBA charity event right here in Salt Lake City. And again, saw those same work ethics and the same habits and, you know, the pregame ball handling drills and I can remember him coming to me being like, coach, hey, what do you think about coming off that double screen, that stagger? You know, you know, what corrections can we make? So it was talking about, you know, having his feet in the right position, the shoulder square and then the triple threat, the swing through. So, again, just giving him specific details. I truly believe that great players want to be coached. I think great players want to learn, just like Kobe Bryant, like the book over my shoulder, you know, the Mamba mentality. Kobe Bryant aspired to be a Michael Jordan and whoever he could get to learn from that was around Michael Jordan. I mean, he would ask Michael Jordan questions during the NBA All-Star game, bent over with his hands on his knees saying, Mike, you know, how did you do that? Or how how can, (laughs) so what's he do? He gets, he gets around coach Jimmy Clemens. He gets around coach Tex Winters. You know, he's, he's around Phil Jackson. And he picked their brains. And, and I love that he had that curiosity about him to say, what can I do to make my great level even greater? And that's, again, there's so many little details and life lessons to learn from just those types of examples or experiences that it makes you want to be better at anything that you do. What about, obviously, we can tell you have a soft spot in your heart for Utah. 
Is that, would we say your experience with them was something that really made you, what, what experience was it? Golden state? Was it taking your first job brought you to think, wow, I truly have elevated myself to another step in my career, a milestone, I guess you could say. You know, I can't really say that when you're going through the process and you're in that position and you, and the opportunity is given to you, you're so focused on wanting to make sure that you're being the best, you know, coach or teacher that you can be. So you, you don't really look at it and reflect that way. I never did, but I guess the best thing that happened to me here in Utah doesn't have anything to do with what happened on the court. It, came about when I met my wife. I mean, she was just this wonderful gal who had this great energy about her. And I just, it was like, that's what I was looking for to complete me. So the best thing about Utah was meeting and falling in love with my life, getting married right away. And then, you know, then having the opportunity to have, you know, my stepdaughter and then adopting a son. I think that's the best part of Scott Fields that that has anything to do with Utah. Now, we still live here in Utah, but I'm an Indiana boy. I'm just a simple, small town guy that you can take a boy out of Indiana, but you can't take Indiana out of the boy. And that's where that that DNA and that that almost religious aspect of basketball and where that passion comes from. So I, I guess that's probably the most honest answer that I can truly give you about Utah. It's family first. We always... Got it's, to. Bigger, it's bigger than football. It's bigger than basketball. I like how right. we're actually speaking it into existence and setting an example. Yeah. Well, in, in Utah for me, I mean, here we, we're, we're in another little snowstorm here today, but for me to get away from basketball and decompress, I mean, I'm constantly out hiking or fishing or hunting. And when I can get out and get a great hike in out in the mountains and see deer and moose and elk and mountain lion, there's a spiritual connection about all that that just keeps you grounded and it keeps you humbled. And that's kind of how I recharge my batteries. But that's that's what Utah is to me here. Anything to really get away from technology is a plus. Sometimes we're just so immersed in it, especially with what we do for a living. It's nonstop eyes on a screen. So it's very nice to decompress. I can totally agree with that. (laughs) It's it's so true because you you look around and everybody's, you know, attached to their phones and the young kids are on their computers and the, what is it? The PX5s and the Xboxes and it's like, oh my goodness, we didn't have those things as kids for us. It was go outside and play and come in when the lights come on. So, you know, it's, it, it's a different generation, but yet as a coach, you have to recognize that and realize that and knowing that so many, you know, so much of the youth and so much stuff is done with this technology, if it's used in the right way, it's made players very visual. So now as teachers and great coaches, you use that technology and the visuals to show those players exactly what corrections that need to be made, where on their, the mechanics that, that need to be corrected, where in the offenses and defenses on executions. I think coaches are making a big mistake if they don't use the technology and have that synergy from that technology to learn to make it educational educational and build awareness for the players. What is really the window that takes somebody from a D league to the NBA or an overseas player to the NBA or vice versa? What is that extra something that these players like Steph Curry, Giannis, LeBron and all them have besides their, their size that they bring to the NBA? You know what? That's a great, great question. Uh, You know, a lot of times it's just a matter of being in the right place at the right time, being presented an opportunity, because I can honestly tell you there are a lot of players that are playing overseas 
who are NBA level players who just maybe hadn't had the right set of eyes on them yet, or they didn't get a, a proper evaluation. And then the next thing you know, you know, they're going where the opportunity is because they're trying to create a livelihood and a lifestyle for their family and, and, you know, make sure that, that they can take care of their family. So uh, I've seen hundreds of players overseas that are at that level that if they were given the opportunity, they would be on, you know, on, on a roster spot, whether it's injured reserve or, you know, a two-way player in the G League. And that's why I like what the G League and the direction that they're going now, because right now it's a hybrid type system, kind of like what AAA baseball is for Major League Baseball, where each franchise has their own G League affiliate. And to have that synergy and to have the same type of structure and program for them, it's awful easy to take them from that G League and plug them right in because the terminology is the same, the plays are going to be the same, uh, just makes for a smoother transition for that player. And then once that player gets that opportunity to be in the NBA, of course, their marketability is going to go up. And then if an opportunity comes up to go overseas, they've now gone from maybe $60,000 a year player to a $600,000 a year player to a $6 million a year player. So it's all about opportunity. But, you know, I think to kind of piggyback on that question, because the question is multifaceted. I think players, you know, have to know what their value is. They have to know what strengths and what types of portfolio they bring to a franchise. The more versatility and the more skills and skill sets that they bring to a franchise, I think that's going to open them up for more opportunities. And I think they have to be humble. They have to be coachable. They cannot have a sense of entitlement. They have to have an extremely focused work ethic. And, uh, you know, they have to learn how to take care of their bodies and make sure they have a great support system around them that's going to help them make good decisions. I feel like there's this two different sets of athletes, a set of athletes that are humble, are coachable, are do their job, do their part on the team, and just don't take it for granted, I guess I could say. And then there's the other athlete who is just full of themselves. I don't, you can't really communicate with them well. They think the world revolves around them. Are those players harder to work with in the locker room, would you say, for some of these guys who are really trying to make level up and and get those few extra minutes? I mean, especially when you have like someone like James Harden, who we've heard in the past, who can be a little hard to work with. How much tension does that put on players and coaches? You know, it's the pendulum has swung a little bit where the players have a little more power and control and they can control their destinies where, you know, years ago, it wasn't so prevalent for them that way. And which again, you got to love how the players association has kind of helped them through the collective bargaining agreements. But, you know, it's all about, you know, building trust. It's about building respect. It's about having that effective communication to help let players know where they're at. Because I think another mistake coaches make is they coach players to where they think they should be instead of going back to where that player currently is with their skill development. And you got to coach them and teach them of where they're at right now. And sometimes players have a hard time hearing the truth because they've been told for so long how great they are and how good they are. And they've always had positive press. And, you know, now you're in social media where, you know, someone can get their feelings hurt awful easy, you know, through Twitter, you know, with the Twitterverse. So it's, it's this whole new dynamic. But again, it's all going to start with, you know, communication and, and building trust and building respect and, and having challenging conversations. Because sometimes you, you have to have challenging conversations to get you out of your comfort zone. So that way there truly is more growth. 
But, you know, you can't have hidden agendas when you do that. You can't have fluff when you do that. You need to be 100% honest. And people are going to respect you for your honesty. And now it may not be what they want to hear, but if you do it with a servant heart and you do it with their best interest involved, I think it's a win-win all the way around. Now, you know, you, you mentioned James Harden and you know, when James Harden was ready to get out of, uh, out of Houston, I, I felt so bad for that because here, my friend, Steven Silas, who was with us with Golden State, finally got his opportunity to be a head coach and he had a good core group of guys, but James Harden just wanted to get out of there. Well, it's almost like he knew where he wanted to go and yet how quickly was that going to happen? Because that toxicity was going to be a cancer within the bench, within the locker room and within the team. And they just didn't have that. They didn't galvanize and have chemistry like what they could have had, had he had a different mindset. I definitely agree with that. And also I agree with what you said about the National Players Association. I love what they have been doing, working with the players so much, especially during a tough time like COVID, like we've been going through. I mean, You don't only have players to worry about, but you have their families, you have workers, you have, I mean, so many nurses, so many people that too long to list to think about. So I feel like something like we've seen lately, the all-star game that has been kind of a thing. You've seen all these players, LeBron James reach out and say, look at everything we have going on right now. Is this really something we're concerned about? Yeah. Yeah. Is it essential? You know, you you mentioned the workers. Yeah. You know, what is essential, but you know, give, Adam Silver kudos because I don't think enough credit goes to Adam Silver for what he did with creating the bubble last year so the players could have an opportunity. Oh, I mean, just the technology that was used, the science that was backed up, how they tested the players, how they had the the monitors on their wrist. You know what? You, You look at that and you're like, that's a true blueprint for how you know, these organizations should be run and these major, major, you know, where the NFL, you know, they had a few hiccups, you know, NCAA, look, look at the ups and downs that they had throughout the year, Uh, major league baseball, same thing, but great job by Adam Silver. And yet still having the foresight to give the players a platforms to talk about social injustices and the things that mattered most to them, because off of a lot of people's islands, there's a true world that's going on out there. And that's important to these players because that's where these players come from. So, of course, to give them a platform and a format to be able to express that, hey, it may have turned some people off. Some people may have politicized it a little bit, but I still say kudos because it was outstanding job. Uh, players' health and safety was put at the forefront. And if a player had to leave the bubble, they went back through the testing rigorous program where they had to have positive tests and you know they had to quarantine again. So again, just a phenomenal job by Adam Silver at that time. I'm sure those players did not enjoy getting their nose poked five times a day, though. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, that right there, I, uh, that, that, that could have caused an infection in itself. So could you imagine? <laughs> but if that's the least of their worries, and, and you that's are right. right, he did a phenomenal job on the NBA bubble. And a lot of people said they couldn't make it work. All these teams, one place, all the personnel, how? Yeah, Just like it's the NFL, just like it's all these things. They can make whatever they want happen, happen. And also just to piggyback off your point with the social injustice, I like how a lot of teams in general, I won't even just call out the NBA, have not only given platforms to their players, but they're backing it up as well. And And, And it's one thing to just say, hey, you know, we support you, but it's another thing to show you support people. Yeah, with that, well, and you look at just what happened last week or what finally came out to the public last week with Mark Cuban, 
not even having yep. a national anthem for the Dallas Mavericks. Well, it happened they the whole season. The butt. <laughs> yeah, and, and and immediately think about it. All of a sudden, the press got wind of it because it was finally opened up to have fans come in. And then, the, like, you know, the media didn't know that there was no national anthem. So all of a sudden, Mark Cuban makes a decision. Well, you know, we're not going to do that because we're not going to make players choose, which, you know, I'm sure he has a reason and an agenda for that as well because Mark Cuban is very, very smart. But then the NBA comes right out and says, no, every NBA team will stand for the national anthem. And then Adam Silver put, you know, his thumbprint on it again. So, you know what? Uh, big, big decisions were made. And I'm sure there were monetary reasons for some of those decisions, but still the best decision for everyone's best interest was, was put in place. I, I agree. And also it is some of these decisions aren't always easy to make. And oh, do I always sure. agree with them? No, but I will say, right. especially in Adam Silver's position, sometimes you can't make a quick decision with these things. I mean, I can't imagine the legalities and all wow. the things that it must have to go right. through. And sometimes I feel like a lot of people want everything done right now, but it's, I'm not, mm-hmm. I agree with you. We all want change. We all want things to be positive, but sometimes there's more into a decision that I think a lot of people understand. That's exactly right. We live in such a microwave society where everybody wants it yesterday. And sometimes, again, to get through some issues or concerns or things that are happening on a daily basis, it takes time to vet it out to make sure that the right decision is being made. Because, again, every decision that you're going to make, not everybody's going to agree with it. But you know what? You do what's, what's in the best interest for everybody involved. So that way, hopefully it doesn't affect everybody monetarily and with franchises because you got small market owners, large market owners. What is the best for the invested interest of the group and whole to, to keep the association moving in a positive direction? And the fact that there's just sports going on, especially during this COVID time, I'm happy about it. And I'm sure many people are as well. Well, you know what? It gives you and I content. But yet again, it's also that respite that we need for sports entertainment to give us a distraction from other things that are going on that like, you know what? If you consume yourself with all the negativity and toxicity 24 hours a day, it's going to wear you down. And now you also think about mental health issues and everything else that comes along with some of the other bigger decisions that have gone on that, again, are very politicized, which I don't want to get into. But you know what? It's great to have sports to be that respite. And sports entertainment is exactly what baseball, hockey, uh, basketball is. So thank goodness that we have that. I mean, look at us, you know, a couple of weeks ago, everybody was so excited for the Super Bowl, where was it going to be the proverbial passing of the torch of, you know, Tom Brady to, you know, you know, young Patrick Mahomes. I'm a huge Patrick Mahomes fan, but yet I'm it was a huge fun Tom to Brady one- fan. Look at that. <laughs> Our, no, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, see, but that's great though, because again, people can agree to disagree. Yes. And I wish that we could get back to that because now it's like everything is so sensitive. Polar- yeah, it's, it's so, so polarized. Sensitive. That, yeah, it's either black or white. And why can't we have some gray in there anymore? And yeah, it's okay to disagree. No, it's okay to. That's right. A conversation like we are now and not yeah. have to get heated or. Yeah or do too much about it. I I totally agree with that. And I would love to get back to that. I really think that, like I said, COVID has people tense and everyone's going through their own struggles. So we also have to note that when we're going through our own as well. You're right. You, you, you said the key word sensitive, very, a lot of people are very, very sensitive because of things that they are going through or something that has transpired in their lives that we have no idea about. But, you know, one of the other great things that we have as great leaders is I think you have to have the skill set to be able to listen, to slow yourself down and be able to listen. Because if you can't listen, most people listen to respond instead of listening for growth. 
And if you can sit back and listen for growth, we're going to be in a much better place 10 years from now if we truly listen to listen to grow and get outside of our own, you know, comfort zones. Digest it. Take a minute to take it in. Really think about what you're learning here. That's exactly right. Yes, ma'am. Talk to us a little bit about your experiences with Jerry Sloan and how that shaped you as a coach. You know what? Uh, Coach Sloan was phenomenal. Just being around him every day, uh, having the opportunity to come in and basically just kind of consult and and watch how he worked and how he communicated with his coaches. Uh, His assistant coach, Phil Johnson, was by his side for 23 years, which is the best testament of loyalty you can imagine, especially when he had other job opportunities where he could have went. I saw Frank Layden's son, Scott Layden, worked with the guards. Uh, Jeff Hornacek was a volunteer coach at that time, working with the shooters. Ty Corbin was the uh, big man's coach. So to sit there and see him delegate responsibilities to those assistant coaches and to see how he allowed the assistant coaches to get out there and coach and take ownership to have their voices heard, I thought was phenomenal. But yet I also love too how he held everyone accountable for their actions and their attitudes. And the tail never wagged the dog. He was going to treat the 15th man the same way he treated the number one man, the biggest, highest salary guy. And, uh, and I think when you're able to do that, which a lot of people would call it old school or old heads, he had that instant respect. And to see a Jerry Sloan go out there and do it with the consistency that he did it uh, daily, that was refreshing. I mean, it, it reinforced a lot of my own philosophies, which we talked about a minute ago, but we only skimmed it. But um, it was great to see you know, a guy say, okay, this is our system. This is how we're going to play. Let's go out and work with player personnel to get the players that fit that system. So that way we can, you know, not have peaks and valleys. And and he did that with consistency year after year. And I truly hope, and I have my fingers crossed that soon the new owner of the Utah Jazz will erect a statue of Jerry Sloan, because to me, You've already got John Stockton and Carl Malone out there. Let's get Jerry Sloan out there because Jerry Sloan is hard-nosed. He's tough. And he really is what Utah and Utah Jazz basketball was all about. We at Opinions on Pickens are located in Columbia, South Carolina. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. So we're big Gamecock fans over here. Unbiased, biased, of course. (laughs) But a lot of those features that you just listed about, Jerry Sloan, are in my eyes, similar to our coach here, Frank Martin. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Frank I mean, Martin and Don Stan- Staley. And of course, you, Don Staley oh. is the absolute goat. So we can't, of course, not mention her. But yes, Frank Martin in particular, I mean, he is a man that you, when you see him just at a game, when, you're, when you just see him at his game and you see how hot he gets and how into it he gets, you don't really know how much of a stand-up guy and, and not only just – coach but teacher like you said and father figure to these guys when he's really out there I mean it really is bigger than just one or two attributes that make you a coach and make you someone that is not only someone that's just these kids see every day but someone that these kids remember in the future and the connection with well, they're, they're impacting lives and they're teaching life lessons that are going to be carried on for years that torch will also be passed because you know I have a saying that you know, a candle does not lose its light by igniting another flame. And that's what these coaches are doing by lighting other flames and lighting other candles within these other people. And I think that's a powerful thing because just as you talked about Coach Frank Martin, 
what the press sees is just that passion and that, you know, ferocity uh, on the bench. And they see that and they think, oh my gosh, you know, that's not a very approachable guy, but they're doing it from a place of love and with service in their heart. And the same thing with Jerry Sloan, everybody just saw his interactions and, you know, his squabbles with the, the referees, but you get them off the court. What people don't see is how much time they're in the community and they're giving to the community and doing things without the press's knowledge by giving somebody $2,000 to help somebody whose home just burnt down or somebody who you know lost a loved one and started a foundation or started a fundraiser to try to help these people. And you know it's things like that that don't get the publicity or recognition because I guess it's not clickbait. And it's, it's sad that you know more people want to click on a YouTube video of a coach you know, having a confrontation that gets almost physical than, you know, seeing what a guy truly does in the community and how they impact lives in the community. And that's, and that's a shame. And I think the, you know, we, we need to do a better job of promoting and bringing awareness to those types of people who do wonderful things because they all do it, but yet they do it because they don't want the notoriety. They do it because that's just who they are. That's their upbringing. But yet, you know, it, it doesn't get seen by the press because it's not in front of, you know, 20,000 people. These days, it's like if it's not recorded, it didn't happen. And I hate that. I I genuinely hate that because you are so right. There are so many amazing things that coaches and athletes uh, in all sports do for their communities. And again, it's not clickable or it's not a viral post. And honestly... It's, it's the, it's like TikTok phase too. Like my goodness. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. So much stuff, but I mean, doing the right thing to me is cool. That's right. (laughs) That's exactly right. Yeah. Cause you know, you, you heard so much about racism and you know, it's black or white. Well, to me, it wasn't about black or white. It was about wrong or right. And we had to do what was right. Uh, you know, my adopted son is African-American. So of course I'm going to stand shoulder to shoulder with him, stand right beside him and talk about things and how things affect him. Because I guarantee you, me growing up in a privileged society as a Caucasian male is far different than my young son in his 20s. When he gets stopped by a police, his heart rate is going to go up because of anxieties and things that he has seen far different than what if I get stopped by a policeman, what what that's going to be. So my thing is, how can we create communities where there's going to be that inclusion and we're going to have justices where it's going to be equal for everyone. And that's something that I hope I, and I pray that my grandchildren are going to grow up in a society where there's going to be love and empathy and just have that kindness in their hearts because it's not everybody, but it still happens enough with enough frequency that we still have to do better. I could not agree with you more, Scott. It's also something that you kind of look at and you wonder how hasn't been addressed? Like, I guess you could say it is being addressed now sooner, but also on the other side of that, I will say, I don't think anybody has all the answers right now, but I think starting these discussions openly and actively is a start. And it's somewhere that to grow from. I mean, when you have people like these superstars in the spotlight, talking about these things, these higher up people eventually have to listen. We've seen it happen. And we're just, we're not stopping now. Look look at us now. (laughs) Well, I mean, what we have to do is surround ourselves with people that aren't all like-minded. Because if we just surround ourselves with just like-minded people, there's no chance for growth. But why not have a conversation with someone across the hall? Why not have a conversation with someone from another community? Truly listen 
to what they go through on a daily basis and what crises that they have to deal with. So, and if we can't, as people try to reach out and help all people, I, I think we're, we're truly wasting our time on this earth. And I don't think that's what God wants from us. You know, and again, I'm not trying to be all spiritual here, but I am a man of faith, but yet I also want to make sure that, you know what, hopefully we're going to make the world a little bit better for this next generation. And again, we have to have those uncomfortable conversations. So, you know, to, to even be discussing this right now, I know this kind of amoeba into this and we weren't even going to go this direction, but since we did, I'm glad we are. And I thank you for that. And I thank you because here at Opinions on Pickens, we want to hear everyone's opinions, good, bad, ugly, indifferent. It doesn't yeah. matter because like you said, listening is half the battle and then sharing knowledge is the other half of the battle. There you go. There you go. And again, and, I, and I'm grateful for it because, you know, to me, some people may not like what we have to say, but again, it's just an opinion. It's just a perspective. It's a lens that I wear. And if it's going through different things and at different levels of my life through my lens is hopefully how I'm going to be able to share those experiences and share knowledge and share wisdom. So that way, again, we don't repeat mistakes where mistakes have been made before. And yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's not always going to be easy, but yet I'm glad we are having discussions about it. But yet you have to, you know, not only do you just post something you have to truly be about it and you have to put actions behind your words. And those actions are what's going to create change. And sometimes it's going to get far harder before it gets better. But yet if we go through those peaks and valleys together and we try to uplift each other and we empower each other with knowledge, that's where we're going to create change. And it's got to be positive change. And you really don't have to be a president or some well-known person, it really isn't just your day-to-day actions. It could be one thing a day. It could be one thing once a week and then let that grow. It really is just a small combination of little things that I think have made this such a big thing. And I feel like to really attack this issue, social justice, you got to start small. That's right. To to be able to grow big. I'm so glad you said that because it truly is a ripple effect, the butterfly effect. So, you know, everything for every action, there's a reaction and and that's okay. And again, it's not always going to be positive. It's not always going to be clean. It's not always going to be sexy, but you know what? Let's start that butterfly effect. So that way, again, we can create positive change. Totally agree. So give us a current look at which, where you are now. What's a day-to-day look like into Scott Fields life? Wow. That's that, another great question. I, I stay pretty busy. Uh, I work for the state of Utah and I work with uh, human services and I work actually work with people with disabilities. Uh, and that's something that's very gratifying to me. The reason that's gratifying to me is my of course, I was a high school Hall of Famer, as I shared with you, and I actually took an oral polio vaccine to accept my scholarship in the state of North Carolina. And when I took that vaccine, it caused my immune system to go awry. And when my immune system went awry, I went from Hall of Fame athlete to be in bed fast for nine months of my life. Uh, couldn't squeeze a tube of toothpaste, couldn't you know put on my own clothes, had to be rolled over in bed by my mom and my dad. And that was a very humbling experience. It was very traumatic and it was, it was hard. So when I was finally able to get my health under somewhat some kind of control, of course, that's when I got into the college coaching and my college coach opened that door and threw me a life vest and saved me and gave me hope and opportunity. So that's why whenever I'm in a position where I can try to help somebody and throw them a life vest, 
I'm definitely going to do it because I can remember being there. And so for me to work for the state of Utah, working with people with disabilities, I work four tens every day. I get up super early. I usually start my day by 530. That way, by 330, I'm done. And then I go right into the Coach Scott Field show, interviewing guests. Um, I'm posting content daily uh, for our show. Uh, then there's a lot of planning and organizing and researching for the guests. Because, again, I want to make sure that I'm I try to have the same focus with my show as I did as a coach. I'm going to pay attention to detail. I'm going to do my research. I'm going to try to ask the right questions just as you do and, and drawing these things out of me. So that's kind of my day. And then try to find a little bit of time, you know, to take care of myself mentally, spiritually, physically, and yet still have my family as the number one priority. It's juggling, but you know what? It's, uh, there, there's nothing else that I'd rather do right now. So, you know, to be hosting my coach Scott Field show after I spend a full day working with people with disabilities, I'm just filled with gratitude to be a voice for those who are voiceless. So, uh, that's, that's kind of my day. And you're that perfect example too of showing us that yes, you can have a nine to five. And the work doesn't stop there. If you have dreams, if you have goals, stay motivated, come yeah. home, do your work. Do you think we are living luxury every day? I mean, trying to make our dreams come true. No, it's not as easy as maybe some people, YouTube right. stars and all that make it look, you don't just pull out a camera and become yep. viral one day. That's so right. It's great to see someone like myself too. I mean, I, I, do so many different jobs. It's insane. And to come home and have a staff of four that I'm with doing this with every day and learning to become my own person on camera, as well as in the community and trying to balance learning at my job and being a boss at my other job, things yeah. like that are a learning experience. They are. And, and you can tell you've taken nuggets from every step along your way in your journey, because the way you present yourself as an on-air personality you have the personality, you have the charisma, you've educated yourself, you've done your background due diligence, you're asking wonderful questions. So for me to sit here and have this conversation with you, it's enlightening to me. And again, it's making me even better at what I do. So again, I, I can't thank you enough for being who you are and how you are also out there affecting change and how you are impacting lives and how you are providing a platform to allow people like myself to come on and share a little bit of a story. Because if we can inspire one life, we've done something positive. And again, you can't put a price tag on hopefully inspiring somebody and, uh, and, and hopefully helping them, you know, in their life. I totally agree, Scott. And you know what? When you make it big here soon, don't forget <laughs> about me and take me with you along the way, please. I'm hey, right here with you. Hey, but you know what? Th th that's something that, you know, I think COVID taught a lot of people. You know, yes, there was change and yes, there were struggles and yes, there were trials and tribulations. But yet, how did we take those struggles and those trials and tribulations and how did we spin it into something that could be positive and fruitful? Now, it may not be monetarily where you put a price tag on it, but yet it was very therapeutic for me to get my mind off the toxicity and everything going on around me when I could think about my guest and, and learning about my guest and having that connectivity with my guest and, you know, ha having that relationship and that one-on-one -on -one interaction. I can't tell you how therapeutic it was for me to have that when 
every day was just so hard and so much negativity and watching the COVID numbers go up and then seeing people lose their jobs and seeing people not have an income. What can we do to help them? And, you know, can we give them something positive and uplifting instead of just more and more toxicity where there's, there's so much almost like brainwashing going on where it's like, you know what? I'm going to buck that and we're going to do something different. And that's the same thing that you have done. And that's, that's why I have respect and admiration for you. I have tons of it for you too as well, well, Scott. And it's kind of crazy because this past season we saw the NBA bubble. Now we're back in basketball again when it didn't seem we'd even have the last season. So right now, as of right now, what are we on it? Let me look at today's dates. February 15th, people. The happy Utah Valentine's, Jazz, by the way. <laughs> happy Valentine's. The Utah Jazz are the number one seed right now. You know what? They're what? sneaky good. What? They really are. Yeah. Well, I say sneaky good because we're such a small market team that they don't get a lot of the press and publicity unless Shaq makes a statement, you know, uh, about a Donovan Mitchell. But again, that's that's something else. But, you know, they're a good team. I felt uh, that when Mike Conley came over, I thought he was going to be a great acquisition. Now he's got himself healthy. Bogdanovich gets hurt last year before going into the playoff run. Bogdanovich is healthy. When they re-sign Jordan Clarkson, what a, I think he's going to be sixth man of the year. And I'm not saying that because I live here. I'm saying that as a former professional NBA coach who sees the assets that he brings to the franchise, uh, they play unselfish. Donovan Mitchell has taken his game to another level. I feel like when Rudy Gobert signed his $200 million contract, whether you agree with it or not, it almost gave him a sense of calmness where he was just going to relax. He says, okay, this is my home. I'm going to focus on my game. He's still a rim protector. So yeah, the, these jazz out here are pretty good. And if they can stay healthy and stay away from the Anthony Davis type of injuries and other tangibles that coaches can't control, I think they've got a good chance of, they're definitely a top three team in the West. So let's see how it plays itself out. It's going to make great theater. It's going to make great uh, entertainment. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of content along the way. Cause again, there's going to be ups and downs, but right now, to see the streak that they're on and see the fun that they're having right here with this new ownership group. It's kind of fun to be near it. Let's get to the nitty gritty of it all though. Like let's be honest, the Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets, you have James Harden, you have Kyrie Irving, you have that bad man, Kevin Durant back. So (laughs) is there any teams that really, in your opinion, could potentially take over the Nets and the Lakers and all of their dominance right now this season. Well, you, you look at the Lakers and, you know, prior to Anthony Davis being hurt, that's what you have to aspire to be. You, you know, you're either the hunter or the hunted. And, you know, they've got that NBA championship from the bubble. And, uh, you know, teams are trying to build teams that can compete with an L.A. Lakers in a seven game series. That's the questions that I have about the Utah Jazz. Now, it's just like COVID. We, did, we had more questions than answers. Well, right now, there's more questions with the Utah Jazz as they're going through a process to be a championship contender. Do they have the right mindset? Do they have the right pieces in place? I think they're on that path. But can they beat them in a seven-game series? Uh, I think in the West, you got the Clippers, Lakers, and the Jazz. Now, can everybody else step up? And how much energy is it going to take for LeBron James to step in as Anthony Davis is coming back on the mend. We got to watch that closely because at his age, 
he's going to be more susceptible to injuries, even though he takes care of his body better than anybody else. I say right now, do not play Anthony Davis. Let him rest. I don't care if it takes two months. That's right. Let him rest. There's no reason. LeBron can handle it until then. They're going to be just fine. Well, just like the other man you you mentioned, look at Kevin Durant when he tried to come back too early to try to help the Golden State Warriors win that championship when he tore his Achilles. And now you miss a year, but yet look what Kevin Durant is bringing to, you know, the Nets and that franchise because now you've got Kyrie there with him who, you know, there, there may be some questions and a lot of people are talking again. Oh, there he is with his sage. Well, no one questioned Phil Jackson when Phil Jackson was taking the sage around because, yep. you know, he, he had 11 rings. So, mm-hmm. but, but anyway, again, it's, it's all about the narrative. It's all about the perspective. In the East, you know, Philadelphia, I think Doc Rivers is doing an outstanding job. He's helped elevate Joel Embiid. The Boston Celtics are always going to be competitive. Jimmy Butler is getting back healthy now. And let's see how they galvanize themselves. The Bucks and, and- can't forget about the Bucks. Giannis, man, the Greek freak, I think he's hungry. And, you know, he's he's had a couple MVP seasons, but can the role players around him step up to give them what they need to compete? Because the regular season is one thing, but the NBA playoffs is another, and there's another level of intensity. And the scouting becomes that much better because you're seeing each other night after night after night. And can you make the adjustments and can... Uh, you know, Charles Barkley always talks about, you know, Michael Jackson and Tito Jackson. Can your Tito Jackson step up? Yeah. So l- let's see how that comes together. Because, again, Boston, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, New Jersey, New, New Jersey. Steve Nash has to find a way to get them all to buy in to play in team defense. Yeah. And when that happens, that's going to help escalate them and get them better. Because right now it all comes down to, yeah, you have three of the best one on one players and closers in the game. but Who's going to take the final shot? Well, people keep saying that, and it makes me laugh, but every night it's going to be someone different because your matchups are different. So to, to hear these talking heads and pundits sit there and say, oh, well, who, who's going to be the guy? Well, every night it's going to be somebody different because of the matchups and against who they're playing. So, again, coming from a coach's lens, someone who's been in that battle and been in those trenches, it's about the matchups. Now, let's end this on a, on a soft note. Coach Scott Fields, you're you're super interesting. You're super awesome. And I've learned a lot just in the hour we've talked. Your your check is coming in the mail. Thank you. (laughs) If you you were writing a self-biography about yourself, give us the title. Mm. What would the Scott Fields show, if it wasn't the Scott Fields show, what would it be? It's about visions. I, I believe it all starts with a vision. You've got to have something to strive for. You've got to have that hope. You've got to create that for yourself. But again, it's all got to come from within. And when I say from within, I think visualization is so important. You need to be able to visualize yourself and see yourself being successful. Yeah, there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be people tell you no. There's going to be people who aren't going to share your vision or your agenda. And that's okay. But yet, can you overcome, like I talked about Steph Curry, block out that white noise and the cynicism to say, no, I'm going to find a way to get to where I want to go. And again, I think it all starts with vision. So I would like to start writing a book. I've kind of started, I've got a laptop over there where I've put several chapters where I talk about culture and talk about different types of things through all my travels with winning championships around the globe. I I truly believe that book title is going to be Visions. We didn't even speak about this opinions on Pickens fam. (laughs) No, we just, If I hope you're watching this on YouTube to see how awesome Coach Scott Field's setup is, because it truly is. Can you let everyone know where to follow you? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, 
we've had our show on uh, Facebook Live for uh, for several years. And again, we just upped that. So you can like and follow the Coach Scott Field Show right there on Facebook. We also recently are starting to put more and more things on our YouTube channel. So, you know, subscribe to the YouTube channel. I can also be found, you know, on Instagram at Coach Scott Fields. My Twitter, I got to pick my Twitter game up. I'm just, I, I need to get more into it's that. It's tough. It, it's yeah. tough to tweet all the time. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, just, I just try to put some content out daily. But uh, on Twitter, it's Scott underscore Fields. And everybody keeps telling me, Coach, man, you got to get on TikTok because then you then you open yourself up to another whole demographic. And I'm like, okay, well, at, at some point, we're going to have to get a TikTok going too. But that's where we're at. So like and follow us on, on Facebook. And that's where a lot of our shows are streamed. But working with, uh, if you see here, I've got the DBNA television uh, DB and Associates is an agency that recently we, we've signed with and they now have a channel. So our Coach Scott Fields show is streamed live on Roku and Amazon Fire. And then next month, uh, looks like we're going to be on Apple TV. So for all those things to kind of come to fruition, I just got to tell you, I'm extremely lucky. I'm blessed, humbled. And, uh, you know, I, I just hope that again, people use our show to, you know, ins- inspire and empower them and uplift them because that's that's truly what life is all about. Because if we can't uplift each other, I feel like we're, we're doing a disservice for each other. You've truly uplifted me and the opinions oh, on you. Pickens fam today. I can <laughs> say that with my whole heart on this thank day after you. Valentine's Day. You're Seriously. So, you're, you're so kind. I you're so kind. I can. Thank you. We appreciate you so much for being on the show. And maybe we can get you back in the future if you're not too Gotta big. do it. You know, stop that. We're never going to be too big. I'm, I'm just, a, I'm just a skinny, follically challenged guy from Indiana who just loves talking sports and sharing insights. So whenever, you know, you feel I'm a good fit, please reach out. And, uh, again, when, when we started our conversation a few weeks ago, I'm like, absolutely. And then I kept seeing the things that you were doing. I'm like, I can't wait to get on there and shop it up with her. Again, opinions on Pickens fam. Make sure you are downloading, liking, subscribing following us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. We're at Opinions on Pickens on YouTube and Instagram. And we are at OO Pickens on Twitter for your live tweets during the NBA games for this season. Make sure you guys tune in. We're super happy to have Coach Scott Fields here today with us. And until next time, people, keep winning. Thanks for listening. Check us out on Instagram at Opinions on Pickens. Please like and subscribe to us on YouTube and check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep winning.